We here at Stu Does America always happy to bring you the latest breaking news with the science. You know, that immovable and unchanging thing that's constantly moving and changing anyway. Well, a new report from Life Science says the earliest known form of life on Mars probably destroyed itself through climate change. Probably. That's a word you don't hear a lot in science. Uh, and yes, I can hear everybody on the left salivating over the story, wanting to smash the share button. I get it. But it's important to understand that we haven't even proven that life ever existed on Mars. This is like a, I mean, we've theorized it, but we haven't ever proven it. And it's important to mention that the life mentioned in the article is micro microbial. This is like not little green men or gray men, whichever is less racist. It's also important to mention that the greenhouse effect emitted by these microbes was caused, in theory, by the planet's distance from the sun and not the amount of microbial hairspray used in the space 1980s, which was extensive, I will say. The real inside scoop though, life on Mars wasn't destroyed for any of these reasons. It was destroyed because they evolved into a democratic governmental administration who made the decision to erect a giant mirror and direct the sunlight away from the planet and ended up frying themselves in the process. I'm pretty sure you'd have to be a real idiot to think that that plan would work in any way, shape, or form. Wait, what's this? A new headline? White House is pushing ahead to, with research to cool the Earth by reflecting back sunlight? Oh crap, we are totally screwed. <laughs> Does America. BlazeTV.com slash do. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. That's what you're supposed to do at this time. Sarah Gonzalez is here to uh, join us with a quick temperature check on the midterms. How are we feeling about this? It's only a few weeks away. Nancy Pelosi wants a gentlewoman's duel, but we start by doing Lizzo. Yes, the worst title. Stu does Lizzo. The thing I want to erase immediately from my resume. Lizzo had some comments on our country and the state of things, and I thought they were kind of interesting because Lizzo, you might think, hey, Lizzo, is, is that, that that large woman who played the flute? Is that who you're talking about? Yes, I am. I, I'm very familiar with her music as well and could describe in detail uh, much, much of it. I know that she can't find her phone. That's about the only thing I know about her. Uh, where my phone at? That's, that's really all I, I know about Lizzo. I think this is the type of thing that actually represents quite a bit about our society. And if you're thinking about these elections coming up, you're thinking, how can anyone vote this way? A lot of people are in the place where Lizzo's at. They can't find their phone and they don't know anything about anything. Uh, Lizzo said the treatment of black women in the U.S. makes me feel very hopeless. And that's very, very sad. We'll get to that part of her commentary in a minute. But I wanted to go through some of her other comments in this article because I, they really are quite amazing. She said... Talking about abortion, I know plenty of people who would have died if they didn't have that procedure. I ask this honestly. Is there a single person on earth that believes that Lizzo knows plenty of people who would have died without an abortion? I've talked to multiple former abortionists who have said there is never a time in which an abortion is needed to save the life of a mother. Never. Maybe there's some outlying possibility those doctors didn't run into that Lizzo did, but plenty of times, multiple times she ran into this, this issue. Is that true? I'm a bit skeptical on that one. And you know what? 
Was anyone going to follow up? Is anyone going to say, really, who, when, where, how, why, how, plenty? How many is plenty? How many people did you know that would have died from this particular, uh, with, with a lack of an abortion? Because that is, even people who are proponents of abortion admit this is an incredibly rare, rare event, if not completely uh, zero Uh, percent of the time that this occurs. So she's uh, commenting on abortion. She also talked about the president and Joe Biden. And I think she thinks this is a big win, right? Like this is a big drop the mic sort of moment. But I don't know if it's as good as you think it is. Here it is. Lizzo campaigned and voted for Joe Biden. But the fact is, she said, I don't know what they're doing. Now, if you stop it right there, you'd think, wow, Lizzo is a freaking genius. You're right. I don't know what they're doing either. Whatever they're doing sucks, I can tell you that much. But she does not agree with our position on this particular point, as you might imagine. She says, I don't know what they're doing. I see they're listening, but we're in a post-thoughts and prayers society. Thoughts and prayers just don't effing cut it anymore. I'm not condemning this current administration. I'm just very curious as to what kind of real steps they can take. Of course, she fell into line, realizing she would get in trouble with the left if she actually criticized something that Joe Biden did. But what I find interesting is this idea that we're in a a post-thoughts-and-prayers society. Now, we're certainly in a post-thought society. That I would definitely agree with. But do you really want to be in a place that is a post-prayer society? I don't think anyone on the left can possibly imagine how incredibly insulting it is to say that thoughts and prayers aren't enough. If you happen to be a person of faith... Prayers are enough. It might not be, it doesn't mean you never do anything on your own. It doesn't mean you never pass a law or you never protest something or you never take a stand for something important. You do all those things. But prayers are enough. Prayers are supposed to be the thing uh, that is is going to change the world and has changed the world on an uncountable amount of times. I mean, this is not something that has like happened once or twice. Now, if you're not a person of faith, you might think all that is mumbo jumbo. And I, you know, look, that's, that's totally your right. But the idea that we would live in a society that would be beyond the concept of praying for someone, of thinking of someone else's best interest and thinking of solving an issue, praying for something to happen that seems at times impossible. See, the difference here is not that the left doesn't pray. They just pray to government. They have the same mythical belief that government can solve all of their problems, that they accuse religious people of having that relationship with God. They do see government as God. This idea that you can step in and pass a policy that will, quote unquote, stop gun violence is so incredibly stupid that anyone, even of Lizzo's intellect, should be able to detect it. But... There's, I think, a cheering on that happens. You know, when you, when you have a situation where things are awry, your country is kind of off track. What is it, 8% of people now say the country's on the right track? 8%? When you, when you have a country of people feeling that way, it's easy for government to take over and push their agenda onto the populace. But it's the people who believe in something that get in the way of that. The people who are praying, the people who have foundational beliefs, those people are the people who stop the average citizen from being run over by the government freight train. We've seen this happen around the world many, many times. And there's nothing to cheer about a post-prayer society. At the very least, even if you don't believe in prayer, you're talking about one person 
who's trying and hoping and praying and doing everything they can, the thing that they believe, whether you believe it or not, the thing that they believe is the most important thing that they can do, praying for someone else and telling them to stop it. That's, a, that's not a good thing for a society. That does not breed cooperation. It does not make people less harsh to each other. It's the opposite. We do not need to dissolve prayer. We need more of it. How about this one? She says, as an artist, quote, my job as someone who has a platform is to reshape history. Now, she's certainly reshaping the spandex that she wears. We know that. That's definitely happening. But how do you reshape history? Let me tell you what history is. It's a series of events happened in the past. They happened the way that they happened. You can't reshape them. They already exist. It's something that's already gone on. I'd like to reshape the first Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. I can't do that. I can't make Andy Reid get into the no huddle earlier in the fourth quarter. I can't make that happen. I can't reshape history, sadly. That's not how this works. Wanting to reshape history is trying to mislead people to believe things that did not occur. The only way you can actually reshape history is with a freaking flux capacitor. That's how you reshape it. And as far as I know, only Doc Brown has one. So you probably can't do that. And certainly there's no way Lizzo is fitting into a DeLorean. I don't care which way those doors open. There's, there's abs. <laughs> I want you to stop and picture Lizzo in a DeLorean. How did I not think about this until this monologue? We would have had an awesome Photoshop. I demand of you, Internet. Photoshop Lizzo in a DeLorean. It could be the most comical image anyone has ever seen. I demand you do it. Internet, get on it right now. At Stu Does America on Twitter. I want to see Lizzo in a, uh, in a DeLorean as soon as possible. You can't reshape history. And you know what? It shouldn't be your freaking goal. You shouldn't think that you can reshape history. This was something we saw in the Barack Obama administration. I remember Michelle Obama saying we have to change our traditions. We need to change our history. What do you mean you need to change our history? We can wish things in the past are different. We're different then. We can say, hey, you know, that slavery thing, really bad idea. Wish that never happened. We all can agree that that would be awesome if we could do that. Unfortunately, it exists. Tearing down statues reshaping the way that we are, our foundational principles are remembered, trying to kind of do a little bit of a remix on the Constitution so it means something it never was intended to mean, that's a, that's a bunch of goals that are, sit on the left-wing side and people like you know actual liberal thinkers that trickle down to Lizzo through tweets or something like that, those people believe that that's what we should do. We should change the way these documents uh, read so that Hey, it's a living document. Someday we can come to the perfect, perfect uh, utopia of a nation. If we just reshape history, we'll just tell them that it was different and they'll believe us and that will change today. That's not how society is supposed to work. It's certainly not how a stable society works. And it's not a good idea. It's as bad an idea as Lizzo getting into a DeLorean. It's a very bad idea. Finally, she, uh, this is the big headline from the Lizzo commentary. The way black women have been treated in this country makes me very hopeless. Now, this message possibly would have been more well received if she didn't say it on the steps of her private jet. Uh, it's just a little tough to take from freaking Lizzo, a person who, again, uh, look, I'm not in good shape. 
I can admit that to you. I'm not. Uh, I, I, my body fat percentage is, is you know, it's, it's, it's too high. OK, it's too high. It's double, trip, quadruple what it should be. But like Lizzo, here's a woman who is not exactly the uh, average uh, acceptable shape from Hollywood, who's making a gazillion dollars with what I would argue, other than being a flautist, has zero talent in, in its entirety, right? Like there's nothing there in my view. Now, I, I'm not her target audience. I know some people like the song about her losing her phone. I'm sure it's really good in the right context, but it's not my context. She, I, you know, I, I got that. She could play the flute a little bit. I mean, before she was pseudo twerking, she actually can play the flute. Who would have known? She may have some talent there somewhere. But the fact that a person like her can become and rise to the level of fame and fortune and success that she has is, disproves her own point. Of course, it is unquestionably true that black women have been treated poorly in this country. It just depends on how many years you want to roll the clock back. Yes, some black women, just like some white women, get uh, treated poorly today as well. And of course, racism exists. It did exist in a much more vivid form long ago. We've come a long way on this. And part of the liberal narrative is to never admit that. It's to continually create these racial divides, continually talk about them, continually bring them up, continually use them as excuses, continually blame, 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 try to make those divides wider because either you profit off of them or you get more power because of them. Now, this is totally the antithesis of this, the types of things that I always thought we were shooting for, which was to not, to not even acknowledge this crap. Who the hell cares what color of your skin, the color of your skin is? I don't care. Why do you care? Who cares? Everyone always says, oh, we need to have a conversation about race in this country. No, we don't. We don't need any more conversations about it. Every freaking conversation comes back to it. How could we have more? We need to have racial conversations on top of other racial conversations to have additional racial conversations in this country. Because no matter what happens in this nation, it will always be brought back to race. That's the problem. Solving it. It does not mean constantly focusing on race. It's about getting past that focus. That's what the whole plan was. That's where we should be. You know, you know, it's funny. You think about like, um, I don't know, uh, Whitey McWhiterson, the pastiest white guy in the world. And, uh, you know, Tom McTan, a tan white dude. There's no racial divide between those two people. Why? They have different colors of their skin. Why don't they have a racial divide? Because the whole thing's dumb in the first place. That's why. The whole thing is dumb in the first place. That's what I thought we all learned. Let me give you uh, somebody who I think has learned that. Uh, Tampa Bay coach, uh, NFL coach, uh, shuts down race-obsessed reporters. Let me give you this. This is from uh, Todd Bowles, uh, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when he was asked to comment on him being a black coach uh, coaching against another black coach in the NFL. Watch. You, you and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining the NFL. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, we don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of 
very good white friends that coach in this league as well. And I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. Yes. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. Yes! A freaking men. Yes, yes, yes. The, I mean, I am mesmerized by these reporters trying to push him into making some big racial point. Look, we coach ball. That's what we do. So you guys stop talking about it. Everybody will stop talking about it. I think that's great. And, I, and just to draw attention to one other part of this, this concept where you say to a black man, people who look like you, that's racism. Black people don't look alike. Didn't we do? We, you know, do I look like George W. Bush? No, we're both white. Well, people who look like you, it's important. I never look at a white person and be like, gosh, I'm so glad someone who looks like me has that job. That's dumb and it's racist. Tell, and a white, I think it was a white reporter, uh, talking to a black coach and saying, hey, what do you think, you guys, what do you think about people who look like you? To, to not see how freaking crazy racist that is just shows the blinders are on. We need less conversation about this stuff, as Todd Bowles said, not more. Charging higher interest is how banks make more money. And they take a lot more of your hard-earned money if your credit score is, you know, just okay and not great. So why not make it great? ScoreMaster is the new science in accelerating credit, credit scores, putting yourself in control of your money. Yes, yourself in control of your money, not the bank. Say your credit, is, uh, credit score is 700 and you're borrowing 500 grand to refi your home. Starting at ScoreMaster could save you over 75 thousand dollars over the life of your loan that's a lot of money and it's your money that's the genius behind the ScoreMaster three-week rule wait three weeks before a major purchase then do it you get your credit score up it'll be great uh, finance any big project uh, any big uh, purchase that you have uh, loans uh, for auto leases uh, for for houses any big purchase uh, it takes only a minute to get started you get 60 to 100 points in about three weeks so go there Visit scoremaster.com slash stew. Get your seven-day trial uh, right now. Seven-day trial at scoremaster, scoremaster.com slash stew. Check it out now, scoremaster.com slash stew. I want to bring in Sarah Gonzalez, host of the news and why it matters right here on Blaze TV. Sarah, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you really good? Because we're less than a month from an election, and I'm kind of good, but I'm also kind of terrified. I mean, I would say I have some anxieties, <laughs> um, but it's Friday, so I'm trying to balance that by just saying I'm good. Yeah, okay, okay. I but like I that. do have some anxieties. It's, there's, being... You know, there's just a lot at stake. Yes. Like, there... kind of the fate of the entire country. Right. Which I feel like people always say, mm -hmm. but 
in this case, it really does feel true. Yes, I have a theory on this because because okay. uh, I've also observed the same thing. Yeah. Everyone says it's always the most important right. election of all time. Yeah, and then they until the next one, and then they say it again, and it seems repetitive. It seems like people are just always saying it. But I have a theory behind this that what happens in the in between times, between every two to four years, the government grows bigger, yeah. and it becomes a bigger part of your life. And so who controls those positions is always continually more important because the government never stops growing. That actually makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you, I would, you buy I this theory? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right. So give me your give me your because we had uh, we did some election coverage on uh, Glenn's show the mm-hmm. other night. Mm-hmm. Steve Dace was there. We were talking about Yeah, it. I lost my invite in the mail. Yeah, uh, yeah, really? Yeah. God damn postal <laughs> service. That's another thing of this election. I really need to focus on the postal service. Um, you're going to be on the election night coverage, yes, though, which yeah, is in yeah. a few weeks. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. But Steve was really optimistic. I mean, Steve was at 54 senators. He was at you know 240 House members. Super, super positive. Seeing the Republicans winning all of these toss-up races. Before we get into the individual races, can you give me your like 50,000-foot view? What are you feeling right now? What do you think is going to happen? I'm not as optimistic as Steve, um, but I do think I, I don't see us not obviously gaining control of the Senate. I would say where Steve would be, what, 54, yeah. I would be maybe 52, mm-hmm. just because okay. I, I just I mean, I look at all of these races individually and go, yeah, gosh, there's there's really no way we lose this one. Well, gosh, they, we really I feel strongly about this one, too. But I, you just have to expect the unexpected. And so I'm not willing to go as far as 54. Yeah. Maybe that's just because mentally I don't want it to be such a letdown right. when it doesn't happen. <laughs> and I would rather just be very excited and surprised when it does. You, know? you sound like a Philadelphia Eagles fan. <laughs> Welcome to the club. No, no, no this no. is perfect. Not this week. It is really how I feel, though. Going into this, you know, the Eagles Cowboys game yeah. uh, this weekend, everyone around here is a Cowboys fan. They're all torturing me. Yeah. And there's just no winning for me here because <laughs> if the Eagles lose this game, it's a disaster and I get tortured over it. Yeah. If they win the game, oh, they're already 5-0. and oh, It was a home game. They're going up against Cooper Rush. Right. What's the big deal? I feel the same way with the election yeah. here, like where it, I may be fooling myself into pessimism just mm-hmm. because I don't want to deal with the terrible feeling afterward if yeah. we lose. Yeah. I mean, because, again, these are such high stakes and, you know, you, you get to feel so confident about the Democrats inadequacies that you go, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overstepping it. Right. Like maybe right. I'm getting too confident because in the past I've been confident about things and it's turned out completely the wrong way. <laughs> right. Right. So. Well, I think that's the, the core of why I have more optimism. I had more optimism when there was this big democratic momentum we kept hearing about in the, in the media is that I just, I have a general faith in the country and it's waning, yeah. but it's there still a little yeah. bit, yeah. which says they can't, people can't possibly miss how bad this is going. Like they can't possibly right. ignore right. how terrible the last couple of years have been and how poorly things have been run. Mm -hmm. Do you still think the American people will notice these things or can the media overwhelm all of that with their coverage? I just don't think that they can. And I don't think, you know, as much as the Biden administration has tried to say, don't believe your lion eyes, believe what we're telling you. I I mean, every time Americans go fill up their gas tanks, every time they go to the grocery store, every time they look at their 401k, I mean, these are real life average American problems that I think everyone is facing. The only ones who aren't facing it are, of course, the people on mainstream media sitting in their ivory towers telling you that none of that stuff is as bad as you think it is. So I just don't I don't think Americans are going to buy it. Um, But again, I also didn't think that Americans would have thought that mean tweets were enough to (laughs) let 
you know, a half dead man take over the White House. Mm. So I just again, that's just my my hesitation. I don't want to be too optimistic. But you look at the way the state of things and you're like, there's no way these people vote for the same idiots who got us into this. Right. But here we are. Um, You mentioned a dead person running for office. Let me go to John Fetterman. Uh, Because it's a perfect segue into that incredible You're race. Welcome. And I think it actually ties to your point there, too, yeah. which is they can't possibly miss this. Right. I can't. I don't know about you. I, don't, I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I got to have Dr. Oz as my senator. No. Right? Like I did Ugh, not. That's not. That. I have no passion for Dr. Oz. No. But I look at John Fetterman and I think it's imp- we've just <laughs> given up as a society if they elect this person. Uh, it's a lot of part of it is the health stuff, which yeah. I feel bad about. Look, it's it's tough to go through something like that, which he now admits later on after the primary. It was life threatening. But, you know, it's another thing to he's already a terrible candidate. Right. He was already a socialist in a hoodie. Mm-hmm. All this is going on. And yet he still in most polls shows a slight lead there. How do you feel about Pennsylvania? Well, that's the type of thing that makes you go, all right, you know, you feel <laughs> like people get it. And then you see this polling coming out. And, and what I believe is that there are all of these people who, again, the average American has a lot of a lot going on, a lot of issues, as we just talked about. Perhaps these are Pennsylvanians who are not actually watching the coverage. I think that anyone who is watching has to know this guy is completely unfit for office and is just a ticking time bomb before he's just going to keel over. But more importantly, when he goes there to do the job, he will not be able to do the job he is promising to do because he can't understand English. And I don't say that to mean like to to be joking. I mean, he literally cannot understand speech. And you're talking about him still holding a slight lead over Dr. Oz. (laughs) Look, Dr. Oz is horrible, (laughs) but he at least can comprehend and and understand when you are speaking to him and answer coherently. I mean, this is really dangerous. And the only thing that makes sense to me is, again, that these are average Pennsylvanians working hard, not paying attention to the TV, not watching the news clips or the mainstream media is just not playing them um, in locally in Pennsylvania. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, and to your point, I I don't even know if Dr. Oz is I don't know what he is. I honestly, I know he's not John Fetterman. Well, right. I mean, I I think he's a squish, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think he would have, he would have whatever, uh, you know, whatever ideas he thought were politically advantageous to him. Mm -hmm. He's not as conservative as I would like, but I certainly (laughs) trust him way better than John Fetterman in a hoodie not being able to understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Someone wrote a column the other day that it was titled, uh, Dr. Oz knows nothing about the economy. And Pennsylvanians should vote for him anyway. And I was like, you know, that's kind of where I am true, on this one. It's true. All right, let's move over to Georgia. Now, okay. we've had Herschel Walker in the studio a, a couple of times. Yeah. I like him as yeah. a guy. He seemed like a really, you know, engaging person. Obviously, another sort of celebrity candidate. And with that runs some risks. We've seen those risks sort of play out here. How do you see the state of uh, Georgia? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I do like Herschel as well. Um, I felt like he really had an opportunity to take some dirty laundry that was aired uh, about him and turn it into a reminder to people that he has a past that he admits was not great and he has learned from it and he is a changed person. I think that it was a, a, a missed opportunity for him mm-hmm. to not use that messaging rather than just saying, I don't know what you're talking about. However, however, I don't think that it's going to change many, many Georgians' minds because you really are still faced with, okay, well, you're either voting for the the candidate who will vote pro-life, if that's your issue, right? Mm -hmm. 
the candidate who will vote pro-life or the candidate who will say that there should be no restrictions up until the point of birth and then maybe sometimes afterwards, which is the official Democrat position. So and we should pay for it. Right. And we should pay for it. So you look at those two things and you're like, okay, guy who may have a sordid history that I don't like or guy who is definitely going to vote for all of the things that I don't like. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to pick this one. So I I still feel good um, as long as Georgians show up, because that's what I think was the problem last election was that people were convinced not to show up to the polls and then they didn't. And then you get someone like Warnock. Yeah. So I I really do think that it's going to come down to voter turnout and who is the most passionate about making sure that they get their guy in office in Georgia. And what we're seeing in the polls is a couple point lead for Warnock right now. In the same poll, same people ask the same question. Kemp is leading Abrams. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, are that many people? Because, I mean, I can see... I can see you saying, OK, well, Kemp is a different, you know, he's a little bit more of a traditional Republican. He's not right. you know, a celebrity type candidate, maybe a couple percentage points you could see splitting the ticket. But splitting the ticket doesn't really happen much anymore. No. And, you know, we're seeing Kemp with a five point lead. Does Abrams still have a chance here? No, I don't think so. And, and the thing that perplexes me about that one is because you would see a splitting the ticket type thing if you're talking about two moderate people. Right. Because you, so you're saying, OK, Kemp is not like super ultra conservative. He's kind of, you know, moderate-ish. But Warnock is not. Warnock is really radical. So I don't understand how the same person can say, Kemp, yes, uh, Herschel Walker, no, I'm giving it to Warnock. Yeah, to to your example, there's there's an example of that in Ohio, I think, with J.D. Vance, where Mm -hmm. DeWine is leading the governor race by 14 points, and the the Senate race is only two or three points. Mm -hmm. So there's, But still, again, I just, I don't believe it. No, I don't believe I'll get another example is in Arizona. Carrie Lake leads by two or three points. Mm-hmm. And then Blake Masters is down by four or five points. And yeah, again, like, I, I just don't, don't see how that's possible. Carrie Lake, though, it seems to be a really good candidate. She's amazing. She is. She is really, really brilliant. I also think that it helps that she has she's running against, uh, you know, a Democrat opponent who is literally too scared to face her on a debate stage and will only, you yeah. know, phone in interviews and do Skype interviews with people. That's weird. Uh, it is weird, but I think Carrie Lake has done a tremendous job of really attacking that and using it to her advantage. Because how is she? How is how is Katie Hobbs going to defend herself when she won't even be seen on stage with her? And her excuses are horrible. I don't understand how the Democrats continue choosing all of these horrible candidates. <laughs> and not only that, you're talking about Stacey Abrams and, and some others, and um, Beto, which I I don't know if oh, we're getting to later. One. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, so 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 then let's talk about Beto because I don't understand. They they have Abrams, they have Beto, they have all of these candidates who are just really awful really at it, bad. and they keep putting them up there. That's how bad they are. Yeah. They have no bench. They just keep recycling these candidates who fail and throwing them back out there again in hopes that they'll succeed this time. That does not seem like a good strategy. It doesn't. It's the definition of idiocy, yes. I think. So, with Beto, it's interesting because you go back to his old race where he's going up against Ted Cruz. I hate this guy. <laughs> this is I why I saved him. it for last. I hate him. You're, you have a love affair with our man Oh, Beto. I hate him. Uh, you go back to that race. He loses by two, two and a half points in a, in a relatively close race for Texas. But if you think about that time period, Ted Cruz, 
is not particularly popular right. at all with Democrats, really with independents, and kind of not even with Republicans right. at this point. He's right. coming off of his Trump criticism. There's not a lot of love for Ted at this point. Beto gets all the money in the world, mm -hmm. the most popular candidate, beloved, cover of every magazine, still loses. Mm -hmm. So now you come into, and in a very Democratic year, it's important to point out, right. now we come to a totally different climate. It's a Republican-leaning uh, year, mm -hmm. and you're putting this guy up against Greg Abbott, who also doesn't have tons of passion on the conservative Right. Side, but is probably more acceptable to the moderates in Texas. How could they possibly think this would work? And it was it was not it's not just that, Stu. It's that in between these two local runs, he ran for president and was such a radical idiot about yeah. guns, about mm -hmm. all of these things that Texans really care about and expects to go on a debate stage nationwide and say, hell, yeah, I'm going to take your AR-15s and turn back around and think that he's going to win support in Texas. Mm. It's preposterous how this guy thinks that he is going to be the one. But my hope is that this trifecta of failure for Beto is going to finally be the nail in the coffin, that he's going to need to just go quietly go away and live your life. I'm sure you can find some stupid job in the private sector making money, mm -hmm. talking to a bunch of, you know, college campuses flailing your arms around and sweating a lot in the only blue shirt that you own and be perfectly <laughs> fine. But stop running for office because no one buys your inauthenticity. Yeah, it does feel like this is it. Yeah. For Beto. And I it think Abrams, to too. Yes. I think both of them, you know, they're giving him two high profile statewide chances. Now, you know, the presidential thing is sort of his own in a way, like he wanted to run for that. I right. think I don't know the Democrats were necessarily encouraging that. No, uh, but, but he's but he continued to say the quiet parts out loud, which I think they hated, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, stop telling people we're going to you're going to take their guns. That's yeah. not we want to just do it later. We're not going to tell them we're doing it. I have one answer to this. Uh, the Beto race, the Herschel race, the Fetterman race, the Abrams race, the Kerry Lake race, name any race in the country. One race that cannot turn out the wrong way, who would it be? Because I know what my answer would be on this one, and we just talked about it. Beto O'Rourke yes, cannot ours. be the governor yes, of the state. And correct. this is totally selfish. I it, it, Screw up Pennsylvania all you want. Screw up yep. Georgia. I'm sorry, Georgia. Yep. I live in Texas. Yep. Beto O'Rourke as the governor of Texas is like, Life-changing, terrible. 100% for on, <laughs> on both sides of the coin, right? Because you have, uh, Texas would obviously not be the same. Um, we would have uh, so many illegals, obviously. Oh, my gosh. In the influx. And then that would affect the country. So I could argue this actually is a nationwide, this is a nationwide <laughs> national security issue. Yes, That yes. we cannot have, Carrie Lake would be a, a, a close second. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, Texas, because he would destroy the border. We'd have all sorts of crime uh, and stuff coming into the interiors of the country because of that. Um, and, and Texas would not be the same. But also it would tell Democrats that if, if Beto can win in Texas, mm. they can push their radical agenda anywhere. And I think that would be a huge thing as well, because they can't have that sort of that sort of, you know, incentive, that sort of motivation that goes, we just flip Texas blue. We can do it to any one of these places. They like they can't have that. They cannot have it. It's terrifying. I don't even want to. I don't even want to consider it. It's I not going to happen. Consider it it no, won't. It not. won't happen. No, he can't. We, as long as win. everyone turns out to vote, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Go vote. Do not make it. Uh, you know. Do not say, <laughs> "Oh, I've got, I've got something else that came up." Do not expect that someone else is going to take your place. You got to go vote because we cannot have Beto here. Listen to Sarah Gonzalez. She's the host of Blaze TV's The News and Why It Matters, uh, and follow her on social media everywhere. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you. I'm sorry, Beto wins. I'm, I'm going to go to realestateagentsitrust.com and I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to get the best real estate agent in my, in the area of some other state 
and move there, at least temporarily, because I would not be able to take it. Uh, realestateagentsitrust.com is a great company. It was built by our own Glenn Beck. And, you know, this is a, one of our, you know, it's our biggest investment. And if your real estate agent sucks, they can screw up the biggest transaction in your financial life. And if that happens to you, you'll know it because you'll be paying for it for years and years and years to come. If you have to run away from the terrible governor that's going to be elected here in a few weeks, just bookmark it right now, realestateagentsitrust.com, because if you're going to a new, new area, you're not going to know anybody there. You're going to need to find the best agent in your town, and that's exactly what this site does for you, realestateagentsitrust.com. Contact them, get some basic info from you, and the team will reach out to make sure you make that connection. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. On election night, we're going to be doing coverage. Make sure you check it out at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew if you want to save 10 bucks. We'd love to have you on as a subscriber. We're going through all the numbers. It's not the uh, election coverage you're going to get on MSNBC. I will say it's a lot different and it's a lot of fun. Come join with us, either celebrate or be buried in despair with people that you know and love. It'll be a lot of fun on Blaze TV. Uh, check that out as well. And we keep talking about this. If you want to uh, have something to wear to the polls, for example, I can't recommend uh, anything higher than learn, then vote. The order is important. You know, we have this problem in our country where people, here we go, this is, uh, I'm gonna check it out. They have different colors, but uh, this is the blue one. Uh, learn, then vote. The order is important. And it is important. The idea here is to learn something about something, know a fact, don't be Lizzo, and then run to the polls and cancel out someone's vote who's actually thought about this stuff for five minutes. Okay? Learn first, then vote. Learn, then vote. The order is important. You can get it at learnthenvote.com is where the shirt lives. Check it out there. I think there's mugs and other stuff, too, if you want to check it out. Uh, also, use the code STU10, uh, and you can get 10% off your purchase. Learnthenvote.com. It's learnthenvote.com. The code, STU10. With the Consumer Price Index increasing yet again, the stock market has been in turmoil, as you know. Uh, now, of course, our leadership is making everything worse. It's what they do. Inflation, uh, the market's been up and down, crashing like crazy. Uh, and what are they going to do? They're going to print more money. Print more money. And then what are they going to do after that? Print more money. What happens when they uh, need a big uh, payment? They're going to print more money. When these rates go higher, you know, it costs us an, an extra 30 trillion dollars over 30 years every time interest rates go up one point when it comes to our uh, national debt. How do we ever come back from something like that? Text the word stew to 989898 if you want to push back against inflation with Birch Gold. Birch will uh, help you out. They're going to hook you up with a, a bunch of info on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. These are great, um, you know, people with, uh, we're talking 20 years experience converting these IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let the left devalue your savings. Text STU to 989898. Claim your free, no obligation info kit from Birch Gold. Right now you can do that by getting all this information, doing your own homework, understanding uh, these uh, markets and how they work and, and understanding uh, the, the, uh, the power of having your retirement with gold. It's, it's stew to 989898. Do it today with Birch Gold. <sighs> what a day. 
I want to uh, touch on something uh, we just uh, discussed with Sarah just a, a couple of minutes ago. This idea that we are in a country right now that is com- incredibly polarized, yet we're expecting in- an insane amount of ticket splitting in this election if you believe the polls. Let me give you some of these examples. I, I, and I'm just going to title this, it's, it's titled Studios of Polls, but I'm going to title this segment, Really? Really? Hmm. Ohio, Mike DeWine versus Nan Whaley. Republican is Mike DeWine. He leads the race 50 to 36, a 14-point poll. By the way, for the trend of this race, it's a pretty good poll for uh, Mike DeWine. So we have a good poll there. Same group of people asked questions about the Senate race. And J.D. Vance against Tim Ryan. J.D. Vance is up 46 to 45, one point. That's a neutral poll, I would say. This is pretty much a toss-up race right now. But you're telling me the same people, there's a 13-point difference? Really? Really? Let's go to Pennsylvania. Doug Mastriano against Josh Shapiro. This one is Shapiro up big, 53 to 44. Now, Mastriano's been kind of imaged as this crazy election denier, and he's had a lot of beating. By the way, I'll say this about neutral on this race. It looks to be a high single-digit type of race. Um, But now let's go over to the other side in the Senate, where John Fetterman leads Mehmet Oz by two, 47 to 45. That's a neutral race for where we think the race is right now. But really? Like, you got a, a, a nine-point lead and only a two. So 7%. There's that big of a swing? That many people crossing the tickets? Really? Really? Another one. Carrie Lake, 49. Katie Hobbs, 46. Carrie Lake is up by three. It's a good poll for Carrie Lake. One of the bigger leads that she's had in one of these polls. She seems to be, I think she's, right now, if this election was held today, she would win it, I think. Uh, but then you go over to the Senate side. And Mark Kelly, 46, Blake Masters, 42. A seven point. That many people uh, are going to, to do ticket splitting? Really? Really? Do we believe this? I, I, it's really hard to believe after all of this division that this many people are going to be switching tickets. But I guess that's what we're supposed to believe for now. We'll see if it tightens up as we get closer here in the next few weeks. It's Friday. It's time for Stu Eats America. Yes, we go around the country, find the best junk food snacks that are new on the market. And then we try them. We give them a grade on the old school A to F grading system and tell you whether you should buy them or not. This one is new Ruffles Ridge Twists, the double cheddar variety. I want to make sure you understand that they are doing a deal with the WNBA. So you're supporting women's basketball. Actually, it says Ruffles is proud to partner with the WNBA for our fourth chip deal to elevate women in professional basketball. It's a real sentence. The other three apparently didn't do anything because no one watches the WNBA. But let's uh, open these things up. Kind of a little Cheetos-y on the smell. Now, they're kind of like curly Q, I guess, chips. Let's try them out. Hmm. Very cheesy. Not bad. They kind of have a almost like a potato stick sort of vibe to them. 
I, I, I can eat these things. In fact, I'm going to as soon as we get off the air. And I give him a, I'll give him a B minus. Not incredible, but I did like them. Now, we also have, before we go, Mountain Dew urine. Uh, at least that's what it looks like. It's actually Mountain Dew Baja Gold, uh, which includes a blast of natural and artificial pineapple flavor, which I am a pineapple guy, so I'm definitely going to like this. Here we go. Down the hatch with a little urine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm in on that. That's good. Mountain Dew Baja Gold. That's that's tasty. Now, I got to say, that's uh, I, I like that one a lot. I'm going to give that one a B plus. We need more pineapple things in our world. We need more natural pineapples and more artificial pineapples. And I ask you this question. Why don't pineapples help elevate women in professional basketball? It's a question for you to talk about this weekend. We'll see you Monday.